Welcome to Bewildered. I'm Martha Beck, here with Rowan Mangan. At this crazy moment in history, a lot of people are feeling bewildered, but that actually may be a sign we're on track. Human culture teaches us to come to consensus, but nature, our own true nature, helps us come to our senses. Rowan and I believe that the best way to figure it all out is by going through bewilderment into bewilderment. That's why we're here. Hello. Coming right up after this bit is the third in our series of four episodes dedicated to Marty's conception of how we change, when we change, which is a lot, which is pretty much always, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're feeling a bit tired or frustrated, I hope this one will help you a lot. It helps me. It's what I call square three, and it's the adventure phase of bringing your dreams into reality. If you're interested in getting a little bit more information about the change cycle, including handy visual aids, as well as helpful hints, you can go to marthabeck.com slash change. When you set out to become bewildered, you can find yourself doing odd things. Yeah, sometimes you feel this strange, almost physical pull to do certain things at certain times. Like us, for instance, right now we're feeling the pull together, like with you, if you want. And we want to do it somewhere wild. So we've dreamt up this unlikely notion of a culture cleanse retreat. We meet up in beautiful, lush, natural Costa Costa Rica Rica. and spend six days stripping away the layers of culture that keep us from our truest purpose. Ro and I will be teaching you to drop Everything in your mind and life that isn't your pure, wild self. That's why we're calling the retreat Pure, Wild Self. Mm. We're going to help you learn to hear the difference between the false voice of culture and the true voice of your nature. It is going to be so fun. And, you know, possibly life-changing. So all we want to ask you right now is this. Do you feel the pull? Just notice. Why are we doing this? No No idea. idea. But we're doing it in January of 2025, and we hope you can come. Go to marthabeck.com slash retreat to learn more. Come play! Hi, I'm Martha Beck. And I'm Rowan Mangan, and this is another episode of Bewildered, the podcast for people trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. How are you doing, Rowie? I'm good. I'm, as usual, on a quest to try and get my life organized, you know, mm-hmm. with middle with a degrees of su- success, but... Um, it's it's going. How about you? How are you doing? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to negotiate Lila's extreme self confidence around um, everything that I own. <laughs> she's become she's become very confident. She'll she'll come in and go. Okay, Muffy, I'm just gonna take this picture you're drawing. I'll be straight back when I've fixed it. Yeah, trying to figure out what, how to not kill her confidence and yet preserve anything that I value. So it's, seriously, what in your life right now, what are you trying to figure? Um, so I think that there should be a in life some sort of secret wink or hand gesture that you can do in conversation when you're using incorrect grammar. Mm. With full knowledge that it's incorrect, but just you don't want to be an asshole mm, about yes, it. Yes. And so it's like there's these there's this part of me that doesn't care, and then there's this part of me that's pedantic and cares deeply. Mm. And they don't they don't really like they both show up at the same time, and they don't know how to navigate each other. And so it's like so the big one in our family these days is that I you're you're one of these people who says nauseated. Yes. Unlike the I other 99.9% of people who say nauseous. Now, to be nauseous is to make other people feel nauseated, right? Yes. I know this. Mm-hmm. And the fact remains, I feel like a fucking idiot when I say nauseated. And so I don't say it. I say nauseous. And I sort of want to reserve the right to do that but I have to I feel like every time I do I have to say to you you know that I know that yes it's it's actually supposed to be nauseated and then part of the problem is that the word nauseated makes me nauseated not as nauseated as nauseous (laughs) I'm sorry how how did we just pronounce that word nauseous Nauseous. it's like it's like you're throwing up in your mouth as you say it nauseous 
nauseated. From nauseated. Yes. I bet you could find a um, ASMR thing where it would Ugh. teach you um, how to like all the correct ways of saying things. Um, <laughs> but you know, there's there's like I know also that it's correct to say like Susie and me in certain right right that was good for Susie and me right but people think you're an idiot if you don't people say Susie and I which is you're not an idiot right. and I'm fine I'm not with I would pr- I actually err on the side of being an idiot because I I would rather not sound like so you just pedant. said er correctly, but Americans say air, and it drives me nuts. Oh, that's just an accent. Because er is correct. An no, accent. er is the way it's supposed to be pronounced. Mm, all right. Um, <laughs> good. Well, there you go. If I'd known that that most Americans say air, I probably would have said air just to annoy mm. you. Um, but, you know, the, okay, so I had <laughs> I worked for a library. I worked ah. at a library in a university mm-hmm. and for many years. And if you want to encounter pedantry of the highest degree, you must go to an academic library where there were two things that I remember about this place that people used to say. You know how like there's a work culture and, it, and people oh, get yeah. into that thing where once it occurs to them that they've been saying something wrong, they have to say it right even though no one says that. Okay. The less annoying one was that everyone in the workplace said Wednesday. 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 They just like just kneeled down for a minute on the D there. Wednesday. Might as well go to Voltenstag and get fully Nordic on it. It was it was weird. And but then but that was fine, okay, because it doesn't really matter. None of this really matters. But the other thing that (laughs) that someone at some point had decided that it was all, that the best way to speak to other human beings when they wanted to pluralize the word focus. Oh, don't tell yeah. me. Yeah. So you would have grown-up Australian human beings talking about the various foci. foci. Oh, they no, said they foci? Said fo- they said foci. Maybe they were wrong. Oh, that would be so good if they were wrong. I'm I so sorry if, if you're one of those people that I no, used to work no, with. I, I love I you No, no, I can resist that one. I see it coming. I had it off. I'm fine. Yeah. And I I think you're supposed to say obsessed by something I'm always going to say obsessed with. I just mm. wish that when I did it, like say you're talking in a circle of people, right, and then I would just like for the two that might know that it's not grammatically correct, I'd just like to do like a little chicken dance move or like, <laughs> I don't know, pull my nose or pull my earlobe or something to say, I know, but I don't want to sound like an idiot. I think you ought to just by trying to sound yourself like in a the smart face. person. <laughs> just lightly, boom, boom, maybe with both hands. Mm, that, should, me, that should clear up how I like smart I am. I like the chicken dance. Um, for me, by the way, I'm listening to a book right now by a good scientist who keeps talking about this data. Data is plural. <laughs> the word is matter. these data. What? It doesn't matter. Okay, but look, this data. See, I'm hurting myself, and that means I know how much this hurts you if it's incorrect. I think that's... It doesn't hurt me if it's incorrect. That's my whole point. Oh. I just I just want credit for knowing it, even though I will refuse to say it, because it does sound dumb to maybe, say these data. Maybe you could put up, like, just put up a rabbit ear behind your head or something. Mm. That's a good I idea. I like this. I so anyway, should... I'm still, obviously, it's a work in progress. That's why it's what I'm trying to figure out. But I, yeah. I just feel like in society there needs to be this thing and I'd like to hear from our listeners about yeah. what we should do when we're in that situation. Like sometimes I just want to say less. I know it's fewer. Hold my nose, wiggle my bum. <laughs> okay, I know it's fewer, but I just want to say less. Maybe it's air quotes. I get that it's mm, that less, has, but that, that has a in different itself. resonance. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to keep working on it. I'll get back to you. Please do. We need this. The culture, um, you know, is not something we live by all the time, but it needs this. Yeah, it does. It does. So apart from Lila's confidence, what are you trying to figure out these days? um, Yeah, you're just doing God's work, I have to say. Thank you. Um, Yeah, yeah, you're so welcome. Well, I have been wondering lately about the uh, etiquette and protocol when dealing with a really bad psychic. 
<laughs> so I do not customarily go to psychics, but there have been a couple of times during our relationship, the time we've known each other, that you and I have both consulted psychics because why not, right? Like if you can't solve the case and you're sitting around the house, you might as well call a psychic. <laughs> the first one was in Sedona. Do you remember this? We went to Sedona so. like five years ago and this guy gave me a tarot card reading. And he, it was... Well, first of all, hang on, set the scene. Okay. We go to this big barn that is just a barn of psychics <laughs> yeah. because this is like Sedona and it's tourism. And, and so it's like walk into the barn of psychics and choose your psychic for the time and you go off to the little psychics room. It's yeah. like a clinic of psychics. Well, it's like a, it's a barn. They're breeding psychics in there. <laughs> they have psychic eggs they collect every morning. Yeah, except they're crystals. Psychics are born from crystals. They are. When the crystals hatch, out come the psychics. And this one guy... You know, just I just need to be really clear. I'm not a psychic. I'm a sidekick. Uh, do the gesture. Hit yourself in the face. Do the chicken <laughs> dance. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing. I have got to give this guy props. You and Karen and I each went off to our own stall of psychic, right? Mm -hmm. That's correct. And the guy who wrote, read my cards, I'm going to give him something. He did not throw out the widest net that they use, you know. Oh, I see that you sometimes don't feel well, but other times you feel better. Also, you have relatives who are male or maybe female. And somebody that you know or know of once died of a heart condition or maybe a stroke or cancer. Like, yeah. it wasn't that kind of reading. He was very definite. He was very confident. Mm -hmm. And he, I don't think, was right. Go he on. said to me, I am so sorry that you are, have never left your house, that you have never accomplished anything that you wanted to accomplish in the world, and that you have reached midlife, because this was a couple years ago, you have reached midlife with no accomplishments of any kind, <laughs> and all you do is sit bitterly in your house, thinking of the opportunities you passed up, and... Uh, collecting welfare checks or something like you know my problem is less with his psychic ability and more with his like business sense like that's just not a smart way to treat your client right? so and and thus I was in a dilemma Rowie I was in a mm. dilemma because here was a man who was plying an honest trade like he was being he was reading those cards the way he saw them he was not trying to butter me up and I kept going uh-huh uh <laughs> Huh? <laughs> it's hard because then you're in the position of having to kind of like validate them and you have because right. you have to say something there's these silences exactly. and then you're like I mean I can I know and then we came out of our respective stalls where the psychics were now pawing and chewing on the edges of their crates or whatever and you and Karen were like you were like the psychic told me I've got a child is coming. True enough. Good psychic. I forget what Karen said. Something like, um, there's chocolate in your future. Something <laughs> safe. And I was just like, me? Me? And you you were so incensed you drove me all over Sedona trying to find an emergency psychic at night. <laughs> well, I confused my psychic. I just need to put in because she was there and she was feeling it and she was connecting with the spirits because I was like, do you think I'll be able to have a kid? And she's like, have you committed to one? And I said, yes, I have, psychic lady. I sure have. <laughs> uh, I've still got the recording and voice memos on my phone. And... Then she goes, have you committed to two? And I said, oh, God, no, 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 absolutely not. Ixnay on the Ute, no, one. And she looked really taken aback. Like if she wants a kid so much, she should want two more. Right. I wanted two a lot less. <laughs> oh, goodness. Did we find an emergency psychic? I feel no. like we didn't. No, y'all had to just hold my hand through the night. I think we bought you some crystals to make it better. Yeah, and I, I, I was just like, what? what? The, the cards spoke badly of me. But then years <laughs> later, we were sitting around. It was dead, the dead of winter. We're in pandemic lockdown. Nothing good is happening. And uh, we were, like, desperate for something happy. So we looked on Yelp, and we found a psychic. 
I, I, I rushed to reassure the listener this was Marty's idea. I oh, no yeah. Part in it. And I'm like, what can it harm? So we found, it just went to psychics near me, right? My phone. <laughs> so we called this woman who had glowing reviews on Yelp, all written by the same person. <laughs> and she said to you, and the reading was for you, because you were having a difficult day. And I'm like, hmm, I'm going to get some reinforcements here. And she said to you, there's a man in your life who's doing you wrong. Yes, she and you did. you were like, uh, I, I was like, oh, I mean, oh, sometimes Bilbo, the Bilbo the dog is rolls in something. Adam is overall a quiet man, but maybe he's thinking <laughs> things in his room that are offensive to you. Maybe he's using the word data incorrectly. Correctly is my problem. All right. Without doing the chicken dance. Anyway, in, in both these situations, we were hard-pressed for protocol. Like, you yeah. can't just say, wrong-o, try another, like, yeah. <laughs> throw another hand of cards, dude, because you are all the way off topic. But yeah. do you remember when she, uh, <laughs> there was some, I don't know if it was about men, like if it was the same thing about men or women. And I sort of just went, I don't really, like, to be quite honest with you, love, I don't really have any men in my life. And that in itself is not a problem either, because nope. then she tried to go down that route. Oh, yeah. There's a man waiting for you. And you're like, I hope not. No, please, God, <laughs> no. And then, but then <laughs> where, when it got really strange is when she said, well, it's a, it's a man on the card. But these cards are very old. <laughs> and she was like, she was getting what? a little desperate. She's like, it could be different. I mean, these cards are old. How does that, is it like it, it was a man, but he hadn't come out as, she hadn't come out as trans yet or something. You know what I mean? Like it was just like, how does the age of the, well, you I, know. I don't think it would be because that's more sophisticated. I think these cards were simply losing their ability to see clearly what the other person was presenting as their gender. They just the were getting dim-eyed. The funny thing was that from what she said, you were telling me what cards she'd drawn. Like mm -hmm. she was trying to tell my future and you were like, oh, I see, because she's got that and she's interpreting it this way. <laughs> I don't know why you didn't just read my cards. Well, and for our more, from our more um, uh, new agey listeners, I people gave me, somebody gave me a deck of tarot cards and I have pulled decks for people a lot. And I always say these are just pieces of cardboard. There's absolutely nothing, like remembering my Sedona experience. They are oddly accurate sometimes. So I'm not. And, and yet off you go to Yelp. <laughs> off I went to Yelp because that's the thing is you want someone else to tell you. That's, that's what we do. We turn to cultural sources. We want an authority figure, even if it's some crazy woman who has to write her own ads on Yelp and then... Um, blame her cards for being old and overused when they go completely off <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah well i feel like this might be a good moment to turn to the topic of the show what do you think i think so too yes because that is a really weird way to turn to culture instead of nature it is yeah, yeah it's worthy of you if a yelp psychic says it it must be true <laughs> if, if a psychic in a sedona barn said it <laughs> We'll be right back with more Bewildered. We don't say this enough. We are so glad you're a Bewildered listener. And we're hoping you might want to go to the next level with us. By which I mean, if you rate and review the podcast, it helps new people find us. So we can keep bewildering new souls. And you know how much we love that. Ratings are very much appreciated. Obviously, the more stars you give us, the more appreciation is forthcoming. Reviews are quite simply heaven and we read everyone and exclaim over them and we just love you all. Mwah. Change, eh? Mm, it sure does keep happening. I feel like there's something that you, Martha Beck, have created that will help us understand how change affects us and how to manage it. Oh, by coincidence, now that you mention it, I have. It's called The Change Cycle. Mm. It's about four aspects of the whole process of change. And we've put the information together in one handy place so that the people can refer to it when they're going through change. 
And you know what else? We also made podcast episodes about each of the four squares in the cycle that are also on this new page that we've made for the peoples. Well, how remarkable is that? All right. You can find out all about the change cycle at marthabeck.com slash change. All right. All right. Come on. Let's do this. Yes. So on this show, it seems to me that we often talk about um, or what is something that comes up a lot as we're grappling with the issues we grapple with is that culture often seems to be saying be productive. It seems to mindlessly be saying be productive, be yeah. productive. Be. We talk about the factory sort yeah. of mentality. Materialism. And yeah. Showing up like a factory to serve, you know, like a factory worker or a factory um, product um, isn't nature. It doesn't feel like our true wild right. nature. But what we want to talk about today is the fact that that's not to say that in your nature there isn't a place for dogged, determined work. And mm. I mean even when it's not fun, I don't mean like the passion I mean the crap that's yeah. there's still and and I think that's a little bit counterintuitive because of the of the ways we tend to talk about culture and nature we can sort of get so carried away in the really just lie down just right. lie down that's what the animals and the trees do they just <laughs> lie there yeah um so we're, so we're gonna today we're gonna talk about the ways that we work hard and sometimes I want to say gruntingly yeah that works gruntingly works for me I'll do the chicken dance gruntingly gruntingly Gruntingly. um do you ever want to take a word that ends in ly like an adverb and then extra adverb it so quickly lee yes extraordinarily lee that's it. That's exactly yeah. it. There you go. Yeah. So, so that's what we thought we would. I feel like we created a little gap in our own uh, universe, <laughs> and today we're going to fill that gap. So, well, yeah, and we'll talk a lot about how that. There's actually that stage of anything that is like a life's work, passion, anything that's really, really important to us has the likelihood of a period when we will have to work gruntingly. Lee. Yeah. Is there any chance that you would have an animal-related anecdote to illustrate your point? How strange you should ask that of me. I have no interest in animals whatsoever. Mm. I am reminded of many things. One, <laughs> I actually had to cut it down from three stories here to yeah, one. Yeah, but you know what? I'm pumping it up one. You know, we didn't even, <laughs> I didn't even mention this story to you, but I've got to tell you now because people can Google it, and it is a bit of a cliche, but cliches exist for a reason. And what I want you to Google is indoor, <laughs> oh goodness, I just realized how this is going to sound. Oh my God. Indoor beaver. <laughs> oh, Marty. Oh, I mean honey. a little beaver. I, an animal with teeth. Oh dear. This is getting worse, isn't it? <laughs> Vagina dentata anyway. Right. Um, no, 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 no. Okay. So, Guys, I just, want- I just, sorry, folks, listeners, I just have to tell you that there was a brief period of time in our lives when Marty's phone, Chrome, was signed in as me, which meant that whenever I went to Google something and I put my cursor in the search field, I would be greeted by Marty's most recent <laughs> Google searches. And, man, I mean, I, I won't even say them because you wouldn't understand the context, but they were all like this. Yeah. And that was always looking for animal videos. <laughs> always. So I just want you to Google what happens when they rescue an orphaned beaver from the wild and raise it in a human house. Because what they do is they build dams. Damn it. <laughs> they And they will pick a hallway. They will pick a really good s- spot for it. And they will bring everything in the house. Stuffed animals, barbells, literally a Christmas tree in one video. <laughs> and this little animal is dragging all this stuff and making a very effective waterproof dam inside someone's house. Those animals are geared to work. But my favorite example... And we are going to actually provide the link for this because it is so delightful. If you have not met Stoffel the honey badger, who lives in South Africa with his human family, then you need to get to know him. So a honey badgers are are very um, 
very determined creatures. They will fight a cobra to the death. They are, and they can, and they're ferocious. But the stuff of the honey badger shows, I can only say, a kind of Olympian fervor for getting out of the enclosure they made for him. Now, the thing is, Stoffel's not in a cage. Stoffel is in an enclosure that keeps lions out. They had lions. He got mauled by lions. So they built him an enclosure as a protection. He didn't see it that way. He started climbing out. So then they moved everything away from the walls and made the walls higher. Stoffel climbed trees and went and like jumped over the wall. Then they started putting locks on the door. He started going out the door. He learned to open one lock. Then they put another lock higher up. He would unlock the first lock and have his mate, there was a female in there with him. She would climb onto his shoulders while he stood there and she would open the top gate and off they would go. They never ran away. They just got out. So then they... (laughs) They took the trees out of the enclosure. Stoffel took a rake that he found, propped it against the wall, and used it as a makeshift ladder. They took everything, all this, all sticks and poles were removed. He made a stack of rocks and climbed out. They (laughs) took out the rocks, and Stoffel the honey badger made mud from his water dish and dirt he dug up himself, created mud balls, waited for them to dry, stacked them up, and got out of his pen. That's ingenious. I love Stoffel the Honey Badger, but that is some hard freaking work, and there's no culture going on at all. So we will put a link to Stoffel the Honey Badger in the show notes. Yeah, I may have gotten some details inaccurately. I haven't watched it for a while, but I think I'm right on the main. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, animals work. It's funny because it feels like a natural escape instinct, but it's it's just what he felt like. He never left. It's just like... I'm going to go out. <laughs> I'm going to go out. Maybe those lions maul me again. I don't care. I'm getting out. So I don't. I doubt you've seen this cartoon um, that, that has been circulating the internet of late, and it's about this sort of how animals must react to their own instincts when the instincts come, and this is about a bird um, and its, its process of reproduction. So you, in the first little, um, what do you call it, of a Panel? cartoon? Panel of the cartoon. There's a bird sitting in front of a little nest and the bird says, I made this for some reason. <laughs> and then in the next panel, she's sitting there and the nest is full of eggs. And she says, these are my smooth, round children. <laughs> <laughs> and then one of the eggs hatches and a little bird head comes through and the mother says, oh, no, now it's loud. <laughs> And then all the rest of the eggs hatch and they're all little birds. And the mother just says, help. (laughs) Oh, Lord, that is that ring so true. And it, you know, the reason people are laughing at that and that it's funny is that a lot of people are raising families and it is not easy. And something still makes us want to do it. That's true. I think. Maybe there's a slight distinction to be drawn um, where what what we're sort of getting at today is that that process whereby in the service of a dream, like those way station mm-hmm. dreams that we spoke about recently, um, there is hard work that is, is going to be part of that journey. And yet, even though the work itself isn't enjoyable, it's still our nature to pursue it. And yeah. there's sort of, there's like some fine distinctions in there so we thought we'd play with it yeah they they seem fine these distinctions because we're actually not taught to recognize them at all Mm. we're just taught that hard work is hard work and sisyphus pushes his rock up the hill and that's just it's the same to push the rock up the hill when when it's in your nature and when it's not but Mm. Camus said we must imagine sisyphus happy he thought that the labor of life could be intrinsically gratifying. So it's the same action and that makes it subtle. But there are people who are out there doing good hard work every day, just trying really hard to do what they've been taught and serve the culture and their dreams have been left in the dust. And there may be someone right beside them doing the same work who is being pulled by an energetic team of wild horses toward a dream Mm. that that they're building. Mm. They could be doing the same work, but for totally different reasons. So the distinction I want to make today is 
the distinction between work that we force ourselves to do because of cultural cues, mm -hmm. like I need a sailboat and a white picket fence or whatever, and this, the hard work that we go through when we're slogging our way towards something that is our true heart's desire. And that's, it's worlds apart once you learn to recognize it, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So for in, in, in my case, for example, I literally don't know why I run, why I'm called a life coach or run a life coach training company. I just couldn't stop it. It just wanted to happen. Hmm. I was trying to be a writer and got a job teaching business school. I've told you all this before. And then the students wanted to talk about their lives and careers and I could not turn away. It was, I remember going for a walk in the desert. I lived in Phoenix at the time thinking, why am I, why am I obsessed with figuring out what these people's lives should be like? Why am I obsessed with figuring out what I can do that I can transfer to other people? Like never, I've been doing this for 30 years now and never once Roy has it been an external goal for me. Not hmm. once. When I had to speak at the, I didn't have to, I was invited to speak at the American Federation of Life Coaches long, long ago. I'd never met another life coach. And they said to me, what's your marketing strategy? And I said, honestly, concealment and evasion. I was trying to it does get- not work for you. It hasn't worked. I was trying to get away. But the moment there was somebody who needed to talk to me or who seemed to need to talk to me, it literally was like being pulled by a strong magnet toward them. And then my mind being pulled like a, some, by something like a strong magnet to understand them and figure out ways to help them. It was, it, it looks so ordinary and people set out to do it. But for me, it was absolutely weird and involuntary. Huh. Yeah. It's funny actually that you mentioned the life coach training because the curriculum of that training as it now stands um, has a, a strong connection to what we're talking about today oh, because yeah. you talk about the the four squares of change and we've done a couple of episodes in the past where we've looked at a cut at um, what you call square one, which was bug suit, a recent episode. And then where we just dissolve all your plans. And then a um, little, little while ago, we did one called A Space for Dreaming, which was about square two. Um, but this time of what's often struggle in our process to transform mm -hmm. and the different ways we transform at different times in our lives is um, it's sort of not very sexy to talk about mm. just the hard work of it time. Yeah. But I love how you, you know, you always use with the, the change cycle, you use the, the metaphor of the butterfly and the caterpillar. Right. Can you talk Hence about term, that now? Thank you. Yeah, the term bug soup refers to the way some animals that metamorphose dissolve into a liquid inside their chrysalis before they, uh, the cells in there are recreated into something completely different, like a butterfly as opposed to a caterpillar. Um, so that dissolving process happens to us psychologically when a massive change hits us. And then we have to stay inside the chrysalis and, and new dreams have to be born in us. And that's why we called it a space for dreaming. But once you've got a clear dream, a, it becomes a scheme. And then you're ready for the next phase, which is analogous to the butterfly having been fully formed, but not yet achieving its full size cutting the top off the chrysalis and struggling to get free. And this is a time of maximum physical vulnerability for the animal. It's very vulnerable to predators. It can't fly yet, it can't run. It's stuck halfway in, halfway out of the chrysalis. And it, it's not easy to get out. But they've found that if you cut the chrysalis to help the butterfly get out, it will actually die. And the longer and harder it struggles to come out, the longer it tends to live and the stronger it will be. So something in nature is like Albert Camus. It loves the struggle itself. He said, the struggle itself alone is enough to fill a man's heart. We must imagine Sisyphus happy. And the butterfly pulling free from the cocoon is working flat out at very high stakes and in danger. I just, I love that idea that 
our struggle can be a measure of our strength. Mm. You know, I think, you know, sometimes I feel like people can get into a sort of pain Olympics um, right. mentality where their struggle becomes some sort of badge of honour for want of a better way of putting that. Mm-hmm. But um, the thought of, no, no, like uh, the reframe of, God, I'm going to, I'm so robust because I have struggled so hard to get out of this goddamn, yeah. you know, whatever is is limiting us. Yeah. It's worth the struggle to get out of, right? Yeah, and we actually put ourselves in situations where people will make us do hard things. We, we hire personal trainers. We go to, some of us um, go to higher education, for example, or regular required school because society tells us to. And then there are others who put themselves in school with a passion for learning something very, very difficult. I once had a friend who was getting his uh, PhD in quantum physics. And he he just said, I, I had to know if I could force my brain around these concepts because if I can learn that, I know I can learn anything. But he said, it is so hard. You would not believe it. Mm. And yet it was he could not stop himself. He needed it. Yeah, I can remember that. I can remember writing an essay in my master's degree and sitting at my table. I might have talked about this before on the podcast. It was such a big moment in my life. And I was actually thinking so hard about trying to integrate these these theories that I was reading and build my own argument out of them that I was having to move them around in the air hmm. in front of me and I can remember that feeling of my brain being right at its very limit and it wasn't it wasn't a pleasant no. experience it was it actually was like but I felt good afterwards, man. Like, yeah, yeah. It's but a, I can go on. Well, I, one of the words, for, phrases for it in psychology is the rage to master, and we see mm. that in our three-year-old. Like she, she will do things that are so hard. She screams with rage and frustration, but she will not stop. And if if we're still doing that when we're you know 60 80 100 years old we'll still be learning like a toddler but mm. you're right it's not fun it's called the rage to master because it's exactly the sound you just made ah! mm. and then boom breakthrough and that feels good <laughs> i remember this this square 3 time that i had cuz i don't want to to make it sound like square 3 and that phase is always uh high octane whether that's passion or rage or whatever and so I just had this memory while we were thinking about this topic of I think it was about eight years ago our amazing friend in South Africa Boyd Varty who has a podcast called track your life that you should definitely check out oh yeah and a book called the lion tracker's guide to life which is wonderful so good anyway he invited me to come stay with him and do some work with him for a few weeks and so I got to go to Londolozi doesn't suck (laughs) folks um in South Africa where he lives and basically we just sat down and talked for three weeks and just he did some riffs ideas things he was thinking about we went out driving in the bush and he would talk about stuff. We would um, play with metaphors, just doing all this stuff. And I just recorded it all and started getting it transcribed and everything because what he needed was someone to kind of um, put together some content for him. So he needed a website written. He needed social media blah, 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 at the time. So um, anyway, so my at the end of the time, I my job was I had all this material that I collected and I was going to go home and over the next month I was going to um, sort of sort it, collate it, and then put it together in these various uh, in these various contexts. But I flew from Londolozi to Johannesburg and I had an, a day like twenty four hours before my flight home to Australia and I had this tiny hotel room, little airport hotel room, and Marty, I sat at this tiny desk in this room with my laptop for 18 hours. Oh, my goodness. Working on this stuff that I didn't have to do for, you know, it was due in a month. That's when they were expecting it. But I was like, and and the thing is, it wasn't, the work wasn't transcendent. It was 
highlighting transcripts and then going through and typing out what I'd highlighted. It was, you know, a lot of typing, a lot of word processing sort of stuff. But I was so driven to do it because I loved Boyd so much and I loved his message so much Mm. that that was really key. Um, And I think, so why did I do, why did I work for 18 hours and not sleep and uh, um, on this stuff? And I think that you know, I, I love helping. That is a big part of it for me. So I love getting work where I feel like I can help someone and that that feeds me. And I, I think there's also a sort of love language in that. Mm. Like I, I was so grateful for this opportunity to come and, and do this work and have this time with Boyd that this was like my, my gratitude being expressed. But mm-hmm. there was also a strong overlap of mission and I think that's sort of what we're drilling into is when square three is in line with your mission. Yeah. Or your yeah. calling or your purpose, whatever, however you want to put that. That's so true. And I had a really interesting experience with it because I, I mentioned that when I started, like I couldn't seem to stop this thing called coaching people and I couldn't seemed to keep myself from training other people to do it. And and there was so much passion. I used to train people. They'd come for like a weekend, four-day seminar or something in, in some hotel suite. And I would sit there all four days for like 12 hours a day. And literally, this may be a bit much for everybody to hear, but it is my experience and I claim it. Sometimes I would not pee the whole time. And Gosh. later I developed... Um, a bladder problem, not because of this, but I, I had surgery and they looked at my bladder and the urologist said to me, and I quote, pound for pound, you have the biggest bladder I've ever seen. That- if you've ever heard Marty speak live, she she likes to trot this little story out um, whenever she forgets to give people bio breaks. <laughs> I was perfectly formed. I was, I'm completely decrepit, but I have a bladder that would just shame you if you could see how big it is. <laughs> like, you'd be so ashamed of your tiny bladders. Um, but here's I've the thing. I've never thought to feel ashamed of the size of my bladder, well, but I, do, think I am about now. It now. <laughs> okay, but here's an interesting thing. At one point, I thought, okay, I'm going to do this thing and I've got to do it right. I've got to be in the 21st century. This was right at the 2000s, the, the aughts. And I, I hired myself a social media coach because I thought this is the way of the future. And I am a hard worker. I can go at this stuff all day and all night like a lumberjack. And he started asking me to tweet once a day, um, to take a picture every so often and put it on social media. Ro, I became so exhausted, I could not speak. I could not move. I wept. I had nightmares about my social media and I would force myself to try to think of a tweet and I'd put some lame ass thing online and then I would have like this intense revulsion response. Like, and then I'd go, do some other part of my business. And it, again, the wild horses couldn't have stopped me. They were pulling me forward. That really showed me. Like when we started doing the podcast, it was like, yeah, yeah, wild horses, wild horses. But I can't do other forms of social media that seem very similar to me. I don't know who's making the decisions, but I know I'm not bringing it out of culture because it doesn't It doesn't really follow the rules, yeah. So as far as the culture that we always talk about, you know, would it be fair to say that when it comes to square three work, the hard work in service of our dreams, Mm. um, apart from not really believing in any of that stuff, the culture sort of says "Mm, streamline, monetize, show up without fail, Mm. uh, be the same. And and then so there's that part of it. Mm -hmm. And then I feel like there's also part of the cultural messaging is do it this way because you should, Uh. because hard work is a virt like work grafting is a virtue and that and this is what a productive, good, upstanding person does and is seen to do. that I believe you, and I don't know what grafting means. What does it mean? Graft means work. Graft. It just means, yeah. Yeah, Okay. It's Australian. 
I Thank you for that word. I think it's like a cockney kind of. Now I've got to look it up. You, you talk All right. about and Mark when Twain you or when something. you use it again. Make sure you do the chicken dance, please. Oh yes. Um, but I, I, it made me think as we were talking about it. It made me think about Mark Twain's novel, A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. Most people have not heard of that one or read it, and it's about a guy who time travels back from like the 1840s back to the time of King Arthur. And I was remembering this scene where there's a there's a holy man who's been doing these prostrations to save his soul. You know, I think he kneels and gets up again. He, no, he bows. He just bows and bows and bows. He's been standing on this pedestal bowing for like years. And the, the, kinetic, the kinetic Yankee looks at him and goes, I bet I could like hook that up to a sewing machine. Like if there is a, for, a source of any kind of energy or power mm-hmm. in the world, the Yankee, you know, the good Western society creator is going to hook it up to a machine and make it productive and make it, you know, make money. Yeah. I have an update for you that's going to please you a lot on what? the definition of graft. Oh, yes. Because I have always been given to understand it, that it means to work hard. Um, and it turns out when I dig into the etymology a bit, what it means is to work hard towards something corrupt or shady <laughs> so it's a fairly australian like consistent with your oh, yeah. image of australia when your um, country is a prison work is grafting but sorry, what's it's sorry to, to come to come back to that. your thing after interrupting and going off on a oh on no a little... like hard work is hard work ask Stoffel the honey badger you don't have to be doing anything right by culture's that's light true that's I true think we should be grafting but here's the thing culture says you should be monetizing stuff mm, true that but the, what your story about the creating the coach training and beginning to like or starting to coach people into is that it did get monetized it monetized itself it did it absolutely did and i i was stunned and amazed i had never been able to make any money i'd been taught growing up that being a business person was the most corrupt grafty way you could live and I never expected to make money doing this. It just, it literally, people showed up and said, here, let us help you. Put some structures in place. It started making money. They said, thanks, bye. And and it was all, it happened very easily. And I have worked so hard. I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to just get a like, eat, pray, love, breakaway success book that would set me up forever. And I made money as a writer, but never enough to, to live on. And then this business like sprouted out of the side of my head and I couldn't, you know, I put weed killer on it. It still made money. It's so <laughs> weird. But that's when the wild horses are pulling you, they're going to take care of you. That's my belief. And I've seen yeah. other people do it. And if you fall back into, no, I'm just going to grunt away here at things I hate. It doesn't work as well. The monetizing doesn't. Yeah, yeah. It's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. All right. So how do we figure how do we figure it out? Like how do we come to our senses so that we know when it's culture that is making us work hard in Mm. this way or when it's inspired square three action? I thought you'd never ask. I cannot wait to tell you, but I am gonna wait till after this break. I've always been weird. When I write and speak professionally, I have to tone it down, especially the part where I believe the universe loves us and is on our side. A few years ago, I decided to just show up online and say what I really think. This became The Gathering Pod, a series of discussions about how to thrive in a difficult world. So if you need hope, inspiration, or a chance to listen to someone much weirder than you could ever be, come join me on The Gathering Pod. change, eh? Mm, It sure does keep happening. I feel like there's something that you, Martha Beck, have created that will help us understand how change affects us and how to manage it. Oh, by coincidence, now that you mention it, I have. It's called The Change Cycle. Mm. It's about four aspects of the whole process of change. And we've put the information together in one handy place so that the people can refer to it when they're going through change. 
And you know what else? We also made podcast episodes about each of the four squares in the cycle that are also on this new page that we've made for the peoples. Well, how remarkable is that? All right, you can find out all about the change cycle at marthabeck.com slash change. Okay, so Marty, we need to learn the difference or learn how to tell the difference between Mm. the hard work that's the culture and the man and is oppressing us Mm -hmm. and harshing our mellow and the hard work that is our true nature, even Mm. when the work isn't fun and even doesn't feel inspired. Right. We're slogging away. We're pushing the boulder up the hill, but but there are wild horses still pulling us, even as we kind of, you know, as you said with your degree you're just like uh, and still fascinated somehow Mm, mm. um and here's what it seems to me that your nature i'm gonna go woo woo here i always do uh i after my conversations with not just one quantum physicist friend but several is (laughs) um i believe that whatever our true nature is it exists kind of outside of time Uh And it knows how to make things happen in the line of time that we experience. And sometimes we have to slog through part of that, but we feel Mm -hmm. at some level that this is the way the line of time should be going for us. And even though it's a terrible struggle, I come back from physical therapy every single time and say, I know I brag about it all the time. Like you would not believe the horrible things this woman made me do. I am so exhausted and I loved it. Um, and, And there's, even though it, it literally makes me faint and fall down, the things, it feels on purpose. It feels right. And I really believe my physical body responds to it that way. And here is a little data point from uh, some really interesting research that I think proves this to me in a deep way that I can't even explain. Men who are raising infants without women, you know, when women, when you're, when you get birth, your body starts spouting oxytocin, which is the tend and befriend hormone that makes you want to cuddle your kid and it creates milk in your breasts. And it it basically just turns you into a love machine, right? Well, men who are raising babies in the absence of women begin secreting high levels of oxytocin, which makes them want to care for the baby with that same kind of compulsion that you have, that many people have. I mean, some people have terrible experiences and I don't wanna say that everybody's experience is the same, but for me and for a lot of women, the biological imperative to care for the baby is so strong that you, it is the worst, hardest, nastiest thing you've ever done and you could not stop it. it like if they chained you to your bed, you would find a way to get out of it and take care of that kid. Is that your experience as well? about men (laughs) no 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 i was just i sorry i was just pondering the fact that you just spent three hours uh dealing with a diaper issue that had to do with lila not being quite clear about where the stuff goes Mm. Mm. once it comes forth (laughs) it wasn't a liquid only situation yeah um yeah i mean i definitely think that that raising kids is is can be that sort of that square three you know there's there's no tangible reward most days well sometimes there is but um it's but still even, it's still chipping away towards something that is your heart and your dream yeah yeah and even even dudes whose bodies don't typically secrete that uh hormone at the, those levels that begins to happen to them in some way that we can only explain by referring to nature it's happening Mm. in the body Mm. but there are a lot of things that aren't so visceral and i talk a lot about raising kids you were talking earlier about how even working at that library you mentioned you still had this natural compulsion to do certain things yeah i don't know if i've mentioned in this episode that i worked at a library an academic library university (laughs) library for seven years uh, it's kind of the new Harvard, you know. Yeah, podcast. I was just thinking we should all drink when you mention the library. Yeah, and yeah. I did not mention Harvard. Oops, just did. <laughs> you can drink. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, no, I mean, there was definitely, because I was saying, you know, like often the square three is just doing your job, like doing your day job. And then I started thinking about, I, so when I did that job, I, I was working to help communicate to students the various services that were available to them to help them study. Um, and I, one of my, okay, the high point in my career, I'll just say it, uh, to date has been 10 years ago. I actually think it might be 12 years ago now. I, uh, and my team and I put together a little, little animated video called What's a Library Database? That it has was done, adorable. It's done quite well. It's about 100,000 views on YouTube, if you don't mind. Booyah! That's a lot in library land, just saying. <laughs> uh, but so... It was my day job. I went in. A lot of the time it wasn't fun. A lot of the time it was fine. But, you know, I was sort of thinking about, um, you know, you talk about parts a lot, parts psychology, IFS. And I was thinking, at like, okay, so there's the dream of the part of me that is a book nerd that's mm. being served when mm -hmm. I'm working on the square three stuff about, okay, let's storyboard this. Let's face it, library databases databases mm -hmm. are not the most um exciting fascinating sexy. topic sexy um then there's a part of me that i already mentioned that loves to help so helping these students who are coming in often from other countries and other sort of educational systems and so that that part of me was also had a dream that was being served hmm. and you know there's the, the, the there's a part of me that finds creativity in finding ways to communicate things to people so that it lands for them and yeah. with storytelling and so I think, you know, often the square three and the nature of us, it's not, it doesn't even need to be in my life I intend to achieve. I just right. think there's little corners of our personality that are being served all, all the time, mm. but often by these day-to-day -day tasks. And, and just because it's not sexy doesn't mean it's culture. I love that. And I love the way you've suddenly started putting the word serve into almost every sentence, because I actually think as you're talking about it, that that one word is the key to telling the difference between what you're pushing to do with culture and what you're being pulled to do by nature. Oh, yeah. What, ask yourself, what am I serving? What am I serving right now? I never asked this when I was developing a life coaching course. I was just like, why will people not stop? But if I stop now, and ask myself, what is this serving? I can tell you immediately. I have always wanted to experience the thing Asians talk, Asian philosophy talks about where you transcend suffering. And everything I've done as a coach and the structure of the training and the way I train people, it's all about, can you approach your own awakening? And the moment I say that I'm serving that, I look back on my, this is quite a Naruhodo moment. Sorry, that's Japanese. This is quite a, an aha moment for me. Because um, I'm looking back and going, well, no wonder. No wonder it wouldn't go away. Oh my God, it's about awakening. Well, okay, that's, you know, whatever is the essence of myself, that's what it wants. And it absolutely is the opposite of conforming with whatever cultural pressures there are. And it it's also interesting that when I first started the coach training and actually a long way into it, we'd ask people, why have you signed up for it? And about 85% of them for a, a long time said, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> they had this wild horses feeling and it's it was so, I, so I think it's almost like if there's something that you love and that serves your heart and it doesn't make sense, that's what you do. It's the pull that we've talked about before. Mm. The, yeah. That maybe when we're, we're working within the pull, even or especially when we don't understand what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> um, which makes total sense to me um, that they didn't know what, they were drawn to it, right? Mm, they mm. were drawn to it and their cultural mind couldn't understand it. But but tell me this, Marty, like mm. what do you do in the moment when you're sitting at your desk 
hating what you have to do today. Like mm. say my dream is I want to set up a yoga studio. It's my absolute way station dream of this part of my life. But what is before me is that I have to fill out forms to register as a business or whatever. Yeah. And that it still makes me want to die to mm-hmm. do it. Mm-hmm. So where is nature here? Mm. How do I how do I reconcile that? Since I've worked with so many people who have tried to build their dreams, I actually feel like I have a data set, collective data, to draw from here. And what I think it is, when there's that feeling that you want to die, it's not actually the tedium of the task, it's the grind and the fear. When you're marching through the things that you have to do, either physically, like physiologically or culturally to make a big thing happen, there is not only a strain, there is a certain degree of fear. Hmm. Because every time I've gotten, I've had a client who was at that point where they could choose to move forward with the wild horses or just sort of sit where they were. Often they couldn't move away, but they would just sit where they were. Where they were. The, the word that came to mind was not energy or motivation. It was courage. Hmm. It takes tremendous courage to serve something that makes no sense, but feels like your heart's desire. Well, and and courage is from cœur in the the French, or they're both from the same root, I guess, Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. which is heart. So it's it's courage and heart as the same thing, which is often not how we think of it, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's in in the Divine Comedy when Dante is almost, he's, he's, traveled up purgatory and he's almost to paradise and he has to walk through a fire and his guide Virgil the poet says to him there's nothing I can do for you here you must kill your cowardice and Hmm. move forward with your fear on board so you have your fear you can't get rid of that but you can kill your cowardice and I think the way you do that is you drop out of your mind which is so conditioned by culture and you drop into the heart space Hmm. you drop into the and that's why when people say about an athlete you know that she's digging deep to finish the marathon or he's out there on a a torn achilles or whatever they don't say oh my god she's they've got mind they say (laughs) that's heart Hmm. that's heart that grind that willingness to serve your true nature no matter what is the essence of heart Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that's that's perfect. Ah, so that's square three. It's not easy, but damn, it really, really um that's where we spend a lot of the time in pulling in the traces of our lives, like the dogs that that pulled the sleds a thousand miles through the Alaskan wilderness to get the medicine to the children in the far north. Like we're all mm. like slogging along like those sled dogs in impossible situations, but loving the run and feeling in our hearts that it's worth it. And so ultimately, I guess, if it's, if we're in service to our own hearts, then we're on the right track. Mm, and Balto, the head dog, was half wild. He was half wolf. So if we go into the wolf part of our hearts and um, and then serve what what makes them beat harder, then we'll, we'll come home. Hmm. We'll get to the right places. So everyone out there, thanks for listening. Serve your heart and stay wild. We hope you're enjoying Bewildered. If you're in the USA and want to be notified when a new episode comes out, text the word WILD to 570-873-0144. We're also on Instagram. Our handle is Bewildered Podcast. You can follow us to get updates, hear funny snippets and outtakes, and chat with other fans of the show. Bewildered is produced by Scott Forster with support from the brilliant team at MBI. And remember, if you're having fun, please rate and review and stay wild. Hello, the lovely peoples. This is Marty, Martha, inviting you to a free masterclass that I have made called Five Paths to Your Purpose. 
probably the most common question I get from people is, how do I find my purpose? Why don't I feel that I'm on purpose? Well, it turns out there are certain things you have to do to find your purpose, and I broke them down into five, and I made a little masterclass about it. So if you'd like to see it, just go to marthabeck.com slash purpose, and you will be able to watch it without any charge at all. You know, what I'm seeing out in the world is a lot of fear and a growing amount of despair. Maybe you're feeling that way too, because the ways our culture has taught us to navigate the world, to navigate our lives, they are failing us. We need a new language. We need a new set of tools to find our way individually and as a group. And I know we can still do this. I've put everything I do know about it into Wayfinder Life Coach Training. And the tools that I teach there are to help people redefine how we relate to each other, how we make a living, how we do community. We can only change the world for the better if we redefine how we think and the world needs Wayfinders now more than ever. So please go to MarthaBeck.com and you'll find your way.